You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Maciej Zawaczynski from Pivik Pro. Super happy to have you. Yeah, uh, great to, to be here and uh, talk startups. Same, same. Then let's dive right in. What problem does Privic Pro solve? Um, so we provide the, the best web and app analytics platform for marketers. You can think of Privic Pro as a privacy-friendly alternative to Google Analytics. And now with the, the sunsets of Google Analytics uh, coming up or already in as, as uh, you publish this podcast, um, there is increasing uh, demand for uh, platforms that are user-friendly, uh, unlike GA4. And we, we fill this gap uh, really well. Interesting. And then I would love to dive right into that because like, it's a very specific moment for it because like i mean nobody knew that google had would have this basically major fuck up like self-produced so what are you currently doing to capitalize on on that yeah so we first of all we we launched a freemium model around a year ago um and that's going uh, very well it's it's fairly generous because it's it allows you to track up to half a million uh actions so events per month Uh, which is generally uh, pretty good for all like smaller B2B uh, companies, etc. Uh, we sell primarily to enterprise and mid-market uh, where they have much higher traffic and higher demands. But this premium model had us to go mainstream and we see a lot of PR effects of that. People like showing recording videos or writing about how they migrated to Ewig Pro from Google and etc. We, of course, facilitated with also some of the migration tools, guides, etc. Um, but as we were like, you know, as we heard about this, this change and we realized how big opportunity it's that, we, we, we switched completely to capitalize on that and uh, make Ewig Pro mainstream. Because before we were focused mainly on the data sensitive uh, industries, finance, healthcare, telecoms, et cetera, with like hosting uh, the data in Europe with some additional privacy controls. For example, we have built in consent manager, et cetera. Uh, but now it's like uh, pretty much everyone has the problem, like what to do next. And GA4, especially for marketers, is, is, is pretty, pretty, gets pretty bad reviews. And, Uh, they look for alternatives, and uh, I think we we are the closest to universal analytics out of the other platforms that are out there. Yeah, and then very tactically, how did you make that change? Because I know that beforehand you were like, as you said, like enterprise driven. Have like I think like seven or eight people sales team. How were you? And are like 100 employees overall? I think a bit more, maybe even by now. How did you move a hundred people into a completely different direction? Like, how does you, or how does one as the CEO make that turn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we are uh, over 150 at this point. Oh, okay. Um, so, we, we grow quite fast, like over 50% year, year over year, close to 60% year over year. Uh, but um, uh, the, the change was like, 
Um, actually, it was a, a nice coincidence because we were planning rolling out Freemium anyway. So we were already preparing for that. And that was just like, you know, refining the plan that we have. Uh, still, it's a bit uh, differently from the marketing PR side, but it wasn't a, a huge change of the direction that, that we had to take because we knew that we want to go mainstream. That the, that the, the story is that um, we focus on the data sensitive in the industries because uh, they were a bit less demanding than, than others in terms of complexity of like uh, data analysis and collection, uh, et cetera. So think of, a, think of a bank versus think of the modern e-commerce uh, side. And uh, we weren't as feature ready to go for like uh, retail or uh, for other industries. Um, so we focus on the privacy sensitive ones because we, we had a good background in that area and we built some features supporting that and, and, and processes, certifications, et cetera. But as our platform became more mature and that happens around 2020, 2021, we knew that we want to go mainstream because we are like, uh, we, we can go head to head with G360, Adobe and Win actually on the uh, pure product level, not, not just uh, by compliance. And uh, as we realized that is we said, okay, this is now the point where we need to go mainstream and there is no other better way to get it in front of a lot of people than launching a generous premium tier. Um, so, so time was on our side, this timing of uh, uh, Universal Analytic Sunset, definitely. And, and we, we find a bit marketing strategy for that. We, we decided also to dedicate a larger marketing budget uh, just to capitalize. In terms of marketing budget, I assume if you did enterprise previously, it was likely to do like MQLs or something, or like how, how, did, how did the enterprise go to market motion work versus how are you getting people like on your website and then convert them? Right now, so so we we were always um, very content driven and inbound driven. So we we never had a huge success using outbound. Um, so what the, the the two things that changed is um, launching the freemium, which definitely introduced the self service customers as well as like a, a mass customer, um, which is also a, a lower subscription value sometimes, but not always. We also see very large enterprises starting with freemium and then going to sales team um, and asking for RFP uh, fill out, et cetera. So it looks like um, it's convenient for specialists, even in the enterprise organization to evaluate the product first before they even speak to sales. Um, and the other thing that we, that we, that's changed uh, is we, we are increasingly more popular uh, uh, in partner channel. Um, so we have a lot of agencies that partner with us and that implement UICOR and it's a like, kind of symbiotic relationship because they, um, they have to give advice and implement analytics tool, uh, change the analytics tool, whether it's GA4 or us or somebody else. So uh, they, they, they would like to have this like, you know, relation with us um, to, uh, to also tell the customers, okay, we can recommend that uh, you solve the privacy issues if you are a European company and you have a much more robust uh, platform for marketers. So, so that, that, that has really increased 
uh, for us. Um, and the path to Teller was never so popular as it is now. Uh, then but quick, it's still not our major, major channel, sales channel. Yeah. Quick question there then. Do you um, basically like give them a, some like some affiliate kickback when they bring a customer or how does the partnership work there? Um, so, so there are, di di there are different ways. Um, so some partners say they are, we are totally agnostic, vendor agnostic, and we don't want even kickback to not to have a conflict of interest. Um, but some of them act as a reseller. So the, they buy a license from us and uh, sell it to the end customers. And based on the volume they generate, we, we give them volume discounts. Interesting. The, the, the affiliate the, the affiliate part works as well, but it's a it's a smaller chunk of the of the partnership. Usually, larger agencies either they, they usually go for reseller because they they control the whole billing relationship. They are let's say the reseller in the country, and that, that's also convenient for us because then they also handle the support uh, in the local language, meet with the customer, leverage their relationship. So um, it's a bit different dynamic uh, than, uh, than having the customer sign directly with us. And then for the resellers, did they approach you or did you basically try to, try to find resellers proactively? So we, we do uh, find proactively, but actually the best resellers uh, reached out to us because of <laughs> our positioning. Um, and it's uh, actually the, 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 the most of the most successful resellers came inbound. Um, but as we scale this channel, of course, we have a partnership manager and we, we, we proactively reach, um, especially in the markets where we have lower penetration of partners or we see um, a bigger uh, barrier of entry for us directly. Um, that's uh, better to build a local partners partners that that can walk through the market rather than do it direct. And then for the people who think about maybe going that route, also, what can you give like a yeah, based like a rough range of how much like how much off what discount do you need to give to a reseller to make it attractive for them? I know it's different from business to business, but like where should people start who never did that before? So um, maybe uh, the, the, the one thing uh, that is specific to us, and I think that works the best, uh, these are the, the best type of partners. So our partners make probably like 10 or so, uh, 50x more money on services they offer to the customer than the license. So it's more like a nice thing, nice add-on, but it's not the primary uh, primary. Uh, revenue that they generate so um the fact they recommend us or they resell us or or they refer refer clients to us is probably something that's uh for larger agencies definitely they don't even notice on pnl maybe for smaller it's noticeable but it's uh, definitely a, a a small chunk then we we did a research of like what are the ranges and we are we 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 are on the lower range of that so typically the 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 Referrals start at 10%, which is uh, very common for services business. I used to run an agency. So in agency business, usually the, the market goals and startup was, if I bring a project to the agency, I will receive 10% of billings for the first year or like whatever, two years or, or et cetera. Um, uh, in, kinds, uh, in, in terms of product business, you have much more margin. So agency may have like 
50% margin or 40% gross margin on people they sell. Um, in, in product business, you have usually like uh, gross margin is 70 to 90% depending on the type of SaaS. So you can offer 20 to even 50%. Um, I think that 50% were the extreme cases that we found. Um, most common are, are uh, between 15 and, and 30%. And that's, that's kind of ranges that, that, that we offer uh, depending on the volume. And I think like uh, what I would start is first look at your gross margin, how much you can keep up. And then second, um, look at the, what are the competitors in your space uh, offering to make it uh, competitive. So it's not like, you know, uh, not enough to attract compared to the others. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you a boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast-growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. I, I love that. And I, I would love to switch gears now from the, the product side to more of like the, the company building side because you, as you mentioned right now, you had an agency and spun the current product business out of the agency. Yeah. How did you manage to, so first of maybe a couple of sentences on what the agency was specifically, and then how did you manage that spin-out process without bra either breaking the bank on the agency side or never getting the product out in the market? Yeah, that, that was insanely difficult. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. <laughs> Um, so, uh, first of all, the agency, so it was custom software development, but with the specialization. So we focused only on marketing technology and advertising technology. Uh, by the way, we, we spun it off and actually successfully sold the company um, uh, around one and a half years ago. Um, and that's also how I, I started what we discussed before, some investing on the site, but that, that's a separate topic. Um, the The... Initially, we had a lot of common uh, roles in the company because we are incubating it in the, as a part of agency. It was from the day one a subsidiary, so we could have a separate cost center and revenue center. And that's super important to have it from the beginning because then we, you can show the history if you are fundraising, etc. But what we didn't do is uh, we, we have shared management, shared HR office, finance teams, um, shared development in the beginning, shared marketing in the beginning. So we started uh, uh, department by department. So first of all, we established separate marketing and sales. That was key because it wasn't working at all when it was like, uh, sell here are the custom development services <laughs> and here sell the product. We just completed two different types of personas, etc. So that was the first thing. Uh, then we spun off, of course, development teams. So part of developers were hired directly. And But actually what we did is we took a part of the business. So we took one, I think, team of 10 people at uh, development and uh, moved it to the product business. And that was very good decision for the product, definitely, because we had a team that was proven, that was complete with like, you know, senior guys, some mid guys, manager, QA, etc. So it, it sped up development quite a lot. And it was a nice way to, to, to support the product uh, and, and go faster. But of course, we lost some of the potential revenue in the agency and we had to accept it. 
But with the size of the agency, with it was already like over 80 people, I think it wasn't a, a big like blow. Um, and then, then it went for, for the, the rest of the team. I think the, the, the mistake that we did is that the management team was still like, you know, uh, for the first five, six years of both companies was like the same. And we had to juggle things around. Um, and once we separated, so we grew a management team uh, on the agency side and I moved with, uh, uh, with uh, my COO to, to, to the um, product side. Um, both companies started doing better instantly. So because there was a focus and uh, we didn't like distract each other with like uh, things from, from one business to another. So uh, that was definitely too late. I would establish that much earlier. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think generally I would start separating everything earlier than we did. Um, but there were also good reasons, financial reasons, because we we're bootstrapping why we kept it so long uh, together. Yeah. And now because you just mentioned the bootstrap, I think you... Mentioned in another podcast that you raised, I think, two million. I'm not sure if, if you raised yeah, more we, we right raised now. Two million um, dollars. Uh, we we added for uh, another two million or more from the profits of the agency. So we were funneling it to the product business because it was sour subsidiary, so it was easy. Um, so um, I think, given that we have around 12 million of uh, ARR right now. Uh, Having raised maybe in total four, four and a half of funding, I think it's a pretty good bootstrap. Uh, That's very lean, uh, yeah. <laughs> very lean. Uh, we were always lean. Um, but on the other side, perhaps we could have go faster if we didn't have the uh, to run two companies at the same time. We had the funding secured. We didn't have to earn that money to spend it uh, in products. So... Um, it kind of was a longer journey, but uh, I think in the end, we um, the recent uh, two, three years uh, showed that we can accelerate the growth despite being a uh, larger and larger company. Yeah. And then quick question. Did you sell, because I'm not quite sure if I got it right, did you sell Pivik Pro half a year ago or did you sell the agency? Which company no, 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 got the acquired? Agency, the agency. The agency. We, 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 that we makes, sold that the makes agency and yeah. we, we keep running and growing Pivik Pro. So we spent off the, the agency um, and uh, and we we've kept the focus on, on Pivik Pro. Yeah. And then as one does, I obviously stalked you on LinkedIn before jumping in here. And so it said that the beginning of this year, you moved from the CEO position to the board member position. Why did you make the decision to give up the CEO head and step not out of the business, but a step ahead, basically? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, that, that's connected a bit with the, uh, my side activity, which now becomes my prime activity, which is uh, investing um, in, in early stage companies. So I started doing that probably be long before we even exited the agency. But once we exited the agency, uh, I, I had more funds to, to do that. And uh, in the meantime, we grew a very successful management team at Pewick Pro. And it was natural to let them run the business while I, I, I can focus on the, on the next thing that 
that I, I plan to do, which which uh, which is running the the early stage fund, which is operator driven. So we had the 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 companies based on the experience that we gained in in growing previous businesses. Um. So so that's I, I think that's for sure the the story. So, um, I keep my role as a board member and advisor the compiler. Um, but we have a very good management team that that really executes it uh, well. So I don't want to interrupt them. Uh, yeah. Plus, I have this experience that after giving up the the board position in the agency that we sold, it also started going better. And so far, it started going better here too. So maybe it's like, you know, um, at some stage of the development of Campana, I, I should stop being involved and <laughs> focus on the early early stage um, uh, opportunities. Yeah, so you're more of the zero to one guy, even though like 150 people is not quite one, but a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. And then on the investing side, are you... Is it all? Did you raise a fund, or is it basically your family office? No, no, that, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, funds uh, of, of mine and some some of the uh, co-founders of the agency business put together a, a, a small fund that we manage with no external funding, and that also helps us to do some non-standard deals. And uh, we we. Uh, we we have to explain ourselves only uh, in front of us, so um, um, it's um, um, I, I call it entrepreneurial friendly fund uh, because we went through the same process and growing not only one but several companies together. So um, I think it's um, um, it's something unique on the market uh, compared to the the VCs that that usually have more financial background that uh, that operator background. Yeah, and then how do you see investing in the current climate? Because on the one side, companies die left and right because they're not able to raise funding. On the other side, especially in the pre-seed stage, valuations are down or like on the same level again. It's it, it. You don't quite need to sell your money as hard as an investor, as weird as it sounds. So, how do you think about deploying capital in that market? Right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I, I think you know on the seed pre-seed stage, you uh, and Series A, there are um, of course companies uh, have to do more to to rise the round. But it is it as bad as the late stage uh, opportunities? And for the late stage opportunities, there are number of factors that are difficult first some of these companies uh, growth deaccelerated and they raised uh, money at the very high valuation they don't want to do their down round so it's very challenging for them seed per seed i still see competition it's not that there is uh, it's uh, easy to get into certain more exciting projects but uh, definitely, the the uh, expectations uh, became more reasonable <laughs> from the founder side. So, so it's uh, it's definitely uh, like there are more opportunities on the market. And uh, I think, like you know, if you are investing in the seed and uh, 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 pre seed stage, like you are looking to to exit in five, ten years. So you don't have to look at the uh, and slow down in the economy, you should more look at, okay, does the company have enough runway or will it have 
ability to rise to have enough runway for the next two to three years to uh, to survive and then thrive in the in the rising market. So I think it's now it's the time to to invest in such companies. Um, but uh, you know, do the right due diligence and uh, make sure the company is well funded because it may take longer than the usual for them to grow to the the size where you what you can exit. And then for the founders listening who, who might be at the stage that they want to raise like a, an angel or maybe a pre-seed round, what do you see in cap? So what makes the SaaS company attractive for you? So what do you see which makes you as an investor go, damn, I need to get into that deal? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, at this stage, it's like I, I look a lot at the founding team and uh, the dynamics between them, if they have the right competences, the drive to, to, to run and passion to run the business. Definitely some earlier success helps, but, but it's, it's not only that, but, but how they you know, are knowledgeable about the market, the problem that they are solving and uh, whether they are like doers. <laughs> And uh, the, the other thing uh, I look at is early traction. It doesn't have to be a lot, uh, but you have to have paying customers that is willing to take an interview and talk why they use it or how they use the product and how they get value. Uh, because I think that's, that's most important. Like if there is really a market for your, like for companies to pay to solve the problem that your product is solving. Um, Without that, there is a lot of venture funds that uh, invest earlier. I I tend to like to have at least first a couple of paying customers on board. Although I, I would lie if I don't have the companies that are pro-revenue in my portfolio. <laughs> Because sometimes there are things that you you are too excited to pass on. And, um, uh, and, uh, but the, Then there is, needs to be a really something unique about the technology and the problem that is solving that is like, it can be 10x better than what would ever exist on the market. Um, and that's very rare. And it's, uh, um, you can see such opportunity without the, the, the let's say, early product market fit. Yeah. And then as a last question, because usually one of the last questions is what the big vision for Pivot Pro is, but I would ask it a bit differently. What big vision do you have for yourself as an entrepreneur, both with Pivic Pro, with the investing? So how do you see the next 30 years of your career? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, mean, uh, I will speak maybe first of Pivic Pro because like, I, I, I still am uh, one of uh, the largest shareholder of this company, uh, even though not operationally involved at this stage. Uh, but... Uh, I see in the analytics mar uh, market that it will get fragmented. So we had the situation where you had Google Analytics, the Universal Analytics having 85% of the market and then everyone else was 15%. Now that they are killing this product and they released half-baked GA4, um, it will be definitely too hard to marketers to swallow that and they will look for alternatives. So we'll see Uh, Pewik Pro hopefully is the number one uh, in, for, in web analytics uh, for marketers, but there will be other companies that are competing for this market and will be more fragmented. And in the end, I think this will mean more competition and better product uh, for, for everyone. So uh, 
actually, there's a very good thing that is happening, not only for us as a company, but generally for the, for the market. Um, as, as for me, I, I, I hope that I, I will become a, um, a successful early stage uh, investor. And uh, definitely, I, uh, the, the, the best compliment uh, I get from founders that I work with is that uh, something that I uh, suggested or, or discussed. Uh, they implement and it actually works or they, they get some positive feedback from me. And uh, I hope with that, they will also have positive outcomes of their companies. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wish that, uh, that, that I get more recommendations and more uh, interesting companies in the, the marketing technology space to, to invest in. I think that's an amazing point to wrap up. Thanks a ton for coming on today. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.